Barbara Greff writes, In the pre-dawn hours of February 9th, 2002, sirens wailed their bad news as smoke tumbled southward across an icy Lake Jefferson. The 72-year-old German-style hotel that for generations had watched over this modest lake in the rural Lower Catskills had burned mightily and swiftly to the ground. It was called a sad and suspicious end to the Lake Jefferson Hotel, a familiar fixture that had sat roadside at the east entrance of the village. Hundreds felt the loss, and still do, but few felt it in quite the same way as Dr. Oliver Sacks. Oliver Sacks is known to the world as the always brilliant, sometimes eccentric neurologist author of best-selling books. He is the writer of highly readable, singularly compassionate case studies, including Awakenings, which became the Oscar-nominated Robert De Niro Robin Williams film, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, and Uncle Tungsten, Memories of a Chemical Boyhood. Fewer know him as the quiet, mild-mannered fellow who took a downstairs apartment in the Lake Jeff Hotel for 30 years and who used the countryside inn as an escape as well as a place to write and, of course, to swim. The unassuming Sachs, a loner of sorts, was known to the Lake Jeff Hotel as a frequent visitor, loyal friend, and longtime resident. He was known to Lake Jefferson as a lake might know a fish, and he loved both lake and inn as a writer loves his muse. Words of Barbara Greff from a profile titled A Landmark in His Life, Oliver Sacks and the Lake Jefferson Hotel, featured in the 2003-2004 edition of the Jeffersonville Journal. Barbara Greff was not overstating Dr. Sachs' connection with Lake Jefferson. Here is what he wrote in an essay titled Water Babies. Swimming gives me a sort of joy, a sense of well-being so extreme that it becomes at times a sort of ecstasy. There is a total engagement in the act of swimming in each stroke, and at the same time, the mind can float free, become spellbound in a state like a trance, I have never known anything so powerfully, so healthily euphoriant, and I am addicted to it, fretful when I cannot swim. Duns Scotus in the 13th century spoke of the will finding delight in its own exercise, and Mihai Csikszentmihalyi in our time speaks about flow. There is an essential rightness about swimming, about all such flowing and, so to speak, musical activities. And then there is the wonder of buoyancy, of being suspended in this thick, transparent medium that supports and embraces us. One can move in water, play with it in a way that has no analog in the air. One can explore its dynamics, its flow, this way and that. Words of Dr. Oliver Sacks. In anticipation of the broadcast of the PBS documentary, Oliver Sacks, His Own Life, on April 9th, we had a chance to speak by phone with journalist Barbara Greff of Jeffersonville, New York, about her profile of Sacks, which is written in a warm, engaging style that reflects, in a way, the flow he spoke of in this essay. 
we began asking Barbara about how she came to journalism, even becoming co-owner of a newspaper. I don't always have an exquisite style. I think I appreciate that Oliver Sacks did talk about the muse, because I think even in news writing, there's a muse. So you can have a little bit of a better flow on some days. But, you know, I kind of just fell into journalism as a career. I had just come back from Europe. I was newly married. I was having a baby, and there was a job open at the Ellenville Press, May She Rest, that was paying $80 a week. I guess it was 1985, 1986, $80 a week to be the editor. And I thought, well, I have this English degree. I'll just go up there and interview for that job. So I, I did, and that's how I got into newspapers, and I, I have always loved doing that, and I appreciated it because it made me write. I'm not sure if I would have the discipline to write except for the fact that when you're staring at a blank page and one that's about to be put onto a printing press, you better write something. So that's how I, that's how I got into it, and that's why I think I, I loved it so much. And I stayed with journalism for oh gosh, it must have been at least 25 or 30 years. And that newspaper that you referred to, I didn't really found it. I wasn't really a co-founder. We bought that from the founder, who's a good friend. And it was a newspaper that came out 10 times a year in a little place called Livingston Manor. And it was not published in February and March, which we found out quickly why that was. No activity, no advertising. But a few of us got together and bought that newspaper, and we made it a weekly <laughs> against maybe some against our better judgment. We we went from being monthly ten times a year to being fifty two times a year in the space of the time that we owned the paper. So we were fortunate. It was a it was a great time in my life to own that paper. I had worked at the Daily and the twice a week paper before that here here in Sullivan County and in the Hudson Valley. But owning your own newspaper whole whole different ball of wax. It was really very much not so much a news business, but running a small business. And I would always say our business is only as strong as the other small businesses around us. So it gave you a whole different perspective on it. We were fortunate to be able to sell the newspaper. It was before kind of the crash, I guess, of, of local newspapers, and we were able to sell it. These days you really can't do that. You go out of business. So we were able to sell the newspaper really to our competition, which was kind of okay with me. And they, they wound up not uh, being able to keep it going. But I did go from there into um, an opportunity where I was asked to help start a nonprofit for local news. And it was really a nonprofit for the preservation of local news. And that was my statement that I would say to funders is that local news is a uh, – endangered species, and it's called the Community Reporting Alliance, and still going. And we started it, myself and another newspaper owner started that, long before it became fashionable, several years before it became well-known that local news was something to be treasured and that we were losing. So I, I was glad to be able to do that. And then, then I became involved with other facets, different different things in my career. But I met Oliver Sacks while I was still in the news business. And I was asked to write this piece about Dr. Sachs 
by the local once-a-year publication in Jeffersonville called the Jeffersonville Journal. So that's how that came about. What you are able to do in this piece is very respectful, respectful of him and his privacy, and you put him in a place that was very important to him. You know the place, and you can help us understand, as he said in one of his books, that it's not just people, but it's a place that helped write this book. How then did you come to understand what this place meant to him? Well, you know, I only met Oliver Sacks once, and then I met him again on the phone when, when I was interviewing him. And I met him because I live on the shore of Lake Jefferson myself, and the place that you're talking about is is Jeffersonville. It's, it's Lake, what we call Lake Jeff, Lake Jefferson, and the Lake Jefferson Inn where he stayed for for years, I guess 30 years, I'm going to say, in different times of the year. He had a room. It was a very, you know, basic place, not fancy at all. And there were some apartments down at the bottom floor, which was pretty much uh, on, on level with the lake. I guess in a flood, the water probably was a little scary there. But he um, he would just go out of his apartment and swim in the lake. And... That's how I met him. I actually had received word that Oliver Sacks was swimming down. I don't, I don't know who knew this, <laughs> but I found someone had said, oh, he's coming down, and I decided I would go outside. I lived on the other side of the lake and, and meet him. Now, he was swimming down to our public radio station, which I guess your listeners can, can relate to. He was a, a listener uh, and a supporter. And he was coming down. I, my memory is it was during an open house or a fun drive or some kind of public interactive event, and he thought he would get right in the lake, swim down, get out of the lake, and go to the radio station. So I thought I would take it upon myself to, to meet him and say hello. We didn't live at the radio station. We live next door. And so we chatted a little bit about the lake, and then he went he went on, and I guess he went in and maybe wrote a membership check. I'm not completely sure. Um, I don't know how he kept the, the checkbook dry, but I had the impression he was giving a donation. So that was my my meeting with him, and I got from there that he was really kind of fond of the lake, and I, you know, being, I guess, a writer, researcher, I looked up his different affiliations with lakes and water, and it's really a very meaningful part of his life. So then when I was asked to write this piece, I did—I mean, was, I was shocked that I didn't have a harder time finding him. And I had to put in a, you know, a request through his secretary, and it was only a few days later that I was given the permission or some kind of an appointment to, to talk with Dr. Sachs. And I already had, I think, a feeling of respect and high regard for him because of who he was. And then when I found out more... You know, you you said that I was respectful of his privacy. It's almost as if he was throwing his privacy out the window. He was very, he is a very unassuming person, as as I as I wrote about. And I think so many people have said this about him, kind of a humble figure, and he didn't really have cause to be that. He could have he could have been pretty full of himself, but he wasn't. But his his quality, and there's a quality that anyone who's written anything knows about, which is a generosity. So he was very giving in this interview. And I think it all came from his love of that lake, that hotel, and of this part of the Catskills that he was visiting and, and 
living in for so long. I think it all came from that. You know, the occasion for writing this piece is that the Lake Jefferson Hotel had burned. And I guess the people at the Jeffersonville Journal had it in their head that they'd like to tell the story of the hotel having burned through the eyes of what had to be the most famous guest. So this is how the piece came about. And it's not too long of a piece, but I I can see that I I feel like I did do my homework and, and did a little research as much as I possibly could, which is pretty easy to do because there's a lot written about Oliver Sacks in, in, the, in the general literature. But he also was just so giving. I mean, these details that he gave to me, I don't even think I had to drag them out of him. I feel like he wanted to, using the electric typewriter, not using a computer, an incurable two-fingered typist, which I can relate to because I sort of am too. So we had a little bit of a connection, and of course we had this connection to the lake and to the place, as you say. So it was it was pretty um, seamless, painless process. I mean, I'm sure you know. Uh, sometimes you interview people, and it's kind of hard. But this, I, I recall, as being pretty easy, and he was just being himself and not snooty or any of that. So I re- I remember this as a really nice and giving and you know, enjoyable time speaking with him. You're very funny in a certain sense when you're describing his relationship to water. And as you suggest, it was so important to him, the idea that some of his manuscripts are wet and he comes out of the water and sits down with papers and they get all wet and so forth. But you didn't take it beyond that. You didn't start saying in a Freudian way, for example, that he must have loved water because he was drawn to the human unconscious. And being in water is perhaps for him like swimming around in the unconscious. You kept it on a level that was in keeping with what you were doing. Well, I appreciate you saying that. You know, I did feel, looking back at at this little mini biographical piece, that it was really more about him being a writer than it was about him being Dr. Sachs. And so I I did stay away from all of the subconscious, unconscious brain kind of material that is legitimate to, to delve into that when you're talking about Oliver Sachs. But to me, his relationship with the Lake Jeff Inn and with the, the, Lake itself was all about the writing. Didn't even matter what he was writing, but it was to me. And he even he talked about that, you know, being how the the, the water was the medium through. He would swim, and all this this paragraphs would go swimming through his head. So I I think maybe I I'm not a big swimmer myself, and I have never swum in Lake Jeff. <laughs> and I admired him for doing it because I thought it was a little kind of a scary lake. With uh, I'm not a lake swimmer. You know, eels. Eels are in there. We talked. We talked about the eels a little bit. He might have been a little taken aback about the eels, but he must have encountered the eels, the trout. So I'm not too not too keen on being in there with eels and trout. But it didn't seem to bother him too much, as you as you might recall in the piece. The thing he didn't like was the geese. So I guess he was okay with things that belonged in the water, but not the ones that were kind of from the air and coming in. So he was really, to me, a kind of a writer who, the way that he talked about the lake and the water, which, he's, which he has written about, was just so enchanting that I felt 
given my assignment, which was the Lake Jeff Hotel having burned, I wanted to keep it kind of finely wrapped around that theme. It's a restrained ending, again, reflective perhaps of him and his temperament. Can you tell us how you decided to end and talk to us about his reaction to the fire? Well, yes. I, I'm, I'm glad that you, you asked that because I did go back and look at that myself. I really ended it with his own words. I mean, he, he had the authentic ending on, on this story. And I went back and kind of marveled at the way that he turned this. We were thinking of it as a tragic thing in the community. The hotel's gone. It burned up. It was going into decline anyway. But what a sad ending. Well, he thought it was a terrific ending. <laughs> he, he was a, I think he's an optimistic person. I think that's what you can learn from that. I, and I think that probably that quality of optimism made him who he was and talking about all these patients and their terrible maladies that, that he wrote about for his entire life. But he always saw the hope and the optimism of their lives. So he also saw that about the hotel, and he, and he talked about the hotel burning down, and wasn't it could be seen as sad, but for him it was a wonderful way to go out in what he called a blaze of glory. So he made it into something positive, and that, that, was, a, that was revealing to me at the time. And the story in the Jeffersonville Journal starts out with, three or four paragraphs that he had written himself and sent to me. It's almost a little mini memoir that he had sent that I could use, and I used it in its entirety, to begin the story and to end the story. And that, and that ending was his word, The Blaze of Glory. Do you think people in the region still remember him? You know, I don't think that he was, I don't think it was a terribly well-known fact that he even spent that much time at the hotel and in Jeffersonville and the, the surrounding area. He certainly didn't go around broadcasting who he was, let me put it that way. I think he preferred to blend in. But there are people who remember him. And when, you know, even when this article came out, and I think I may have reposted it on something like Facebook when he died, you know, just saying, oh, what a pleasure I had speaking with him. And people remarked, oh, yes, I remember this, I remember that. So there, there are people who remember him and who knew that, that he was kind of a, a resident. Are you thinking of watching the special? Oh, yes. I just looked at the trailer. <laughs> so I'm, I'm uh, very keen to, to now look at, to take a view of that. So, yes, I would love to. I, you know, after this meeting with Dr. Saxon in that interview, I took a much keener interest in him. And I have friends who are very kind of like Oliver Sacks fans. And I made a pledge to myself, and I'm, I'm doing poorly on it, but I made a pledge to myself to read every one of his books in order. Now, after this, I think I might go out of order because I see some are more autobiographical than others. So I might tend more to the autobiographical. But I think he is really a person worth paying attention to in in this world of ours. And what might be one of his most, you know, enduring characteristics was this approachability. He made all of that accessible to people, and he himself was very approachable. So all these topics that were only for the scientists and the doctors and the neurologists, the regular, you know, the regular Joe on the street, me, you, everybody can can tap into that world. And the way that he found it fascinating was was just so engaging and and he let us share in his knowledge and his enjoyment of it
Journalist Barbara Greff of Jeffersonville, New York, speaking with us about her profile titled A Landmark in His Life, Oliver Sacks and the Lake Jefferson Hotel, featured in the 2003-2004 edition of the Jeffersonville Journal. We had a chance to speak with Barbara Greff today in connection with the premiere on April 9th, the PBS documentary Oliver Sacks, His Own Life by director Rick Burns. And Oliver Sacks, known for his literary works, Awakenings, and The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. He was an explorer of unknown cognitive worlds, and he helped redefine our understanding of the brain and the mind and the diversity of human experience. And all that will be explored by Rick Burns in this PBS documentary. Again, it is Oliver Sacks, His Own Life, and that will have its premiere on PBS on April 9th at 9 p.m. And you can see it on WVIA-TV, and we stream now online at WVIA.org. So wherever you are, you can find the documentary on April 9th at 9 p.m. And it is Oliver Sacks' own life, WVIA.org, or the chance to see it over the broadcast medium or through your cable provider. And again, we spoke with journalist Barbara Greff, and her profile was titled A Landmark in His Life, Oliver Sacks and the Lake Jefferson Hotel, and it was featured in the 2003-2004 edition of the, Jeff- of the Jeffersonville Journal. And if you can find it online, it's well worth reading. It's a beautifully, beautifully crafted, beautifully written, heartfelt piece. And again, I think very, very respectful of Oliver Sacks and and revealing something very deep about his connection to our greater region. So the documentary on April 9th at 9 p.m. on WVIA-TV, streaming live online at wvia.org.